When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the We Are Podcast, the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. He's Corey Geiger. I'm Jared Pagar. Training camp is well underway, and Saturday afternoon was Penn State's media day. Corey was there to tell us everything that we needed to know about the season, previewing it, everything James Franklin talked, the coordinators talked. This is far and away the best point of access outside of bowl games that we get all year for Penn State football coverage. So, Corey, what were some of the biggest storylines to take away from Media Day today? Earth-shattering news, Jared. These guys are very positive and optimistic about the season. They, they think they're going to win the Big Ten and maybe win the national championship. So there you, there you go. That's all we got for today. We'll, we'll talk to everybody next week. <laughs> all right. See you guys later. <laughs> well, no, it's interesting. Uh, I, I only say that in jest because, look, uh, when you talk to any players for any – on any team in any sport at the beginning of the year, they're going to be positive. They're going to be upbeat. They're going to like their chances. And so, sure, you you expect to hear that kind of positivity from the Penn State players. But I will say this. I mean, we when you take a look back at how close they were last year, seven and six, disastrous finish. We all know that. But if Clifford doesn't get hurt, they beat Iowa. They beat Illinois. It's a different. It's a it's a different story. So we we can look at last year at being seven and six and thinking, okay, well these guys got a lot to prove, Jared. They got a lot to prove this year. But at the same time, I think the players in this program know. And talking to them today, they all feel confident about it. They know that you know last year kind of got away from them with a couple of fluky type of things, and that they're probably a lot better than they than that seven and six record last year. So that's the reason for optimism right now. Right, and I think obviously it's training camp, so the pads are finally strapped on. But you're right; they're they're not too far away. They're not too far off. I mean, yeah, the record doesn't indicate. You know, I think there's a lot more than the meets the eye with that record because they are a fluky thing away. You know, you look at the Iowa game, you look at a couple games here or there last year that you know really started the downward spiral. And you know, I think there are a lot. There's a lot of potential in Happy Valley because you, when you look at what's going on up there, you know, they were they were hit with pretty hard with some injuries to some key players early in the season last year. Well, and I led my piece at uh, DK Pittsburgh sports, my takeaways about media day 
with the running game. Clearly, we can talk for hours and hours about the offensive line and the running game and all that type of stuff. And I did discuss this on my radio show earlier in the week with Mark Brennan. Um, and that is the one thing they did not have in their running game last year. Well, they didn't have a lot of things. But one key thing they didn't have was they didn't have a breakaway back. They didn't have somebody that could take it to the house from 40, 50, 60 yards. What, you know, guys would – if they could get to the second level, they didn't have the breakaway speed, they would get tackled – and so that made it even more difficult for the offense, if, if you follow what I'm saying. The offense was constantly having to try to go 70 and 80 yards. And so if they didn't get a huge play in the passing game, they really weren't going to get a huge play in the running game. There is a level of optimism, a level of, I, I would say hope, probably hope more than optimism, that the running game can fix some of those things and not only be adequate, but maybe have a back like a Nick Singleton that can break off some long runs that way, Jared. And, and if they do that, again, seven and six last year, but if they fix the running game, which is the huge if, I think we all probably feel like then be a pretty special program because Sean Clifford obviously doesn't have to do everything. The defense doesn't have to do everything. Yeah, I mean, complimentary football wins football games, right? You have to you have to be complimentary in all three and fa- all three facets. And offensively, they just did not have a good complimentary style of football with the run game right. and the lack of it. Um, you know, and you force Sean Clifford to put everything on his arm and his legs, and that's not uh, a pro. That's not sustainable for success. Um, and then obviously, you wear your defense out because you're three and out, or you're doing this, or you're you're just not helping them. And then you're forcing Jordan Stout to go in and, and do things that, you know, obviously he's capable of doing. He's in the NFL right now. But that's another thing, too. you got to replace Jordan Stout now. And I think that's something that, you know, we, we really don't – we could focus on the football aspect of it uh, and, the, and the offensive aspect of it with the running game and, and say what you want. But I think one of the biggest losses this year is going to be Jordan Stout as the punter. Yeah, and I think they even joked – maybe somebody joked can't remember who it was, Franklin or somebody else. They said, maybe we won't punt as much. Uh, that was that was good. Uh, look, there is one of the big reasons for optimism uh, is is certainly that Mike Kersich is back a second year. He learned things. The offense learned things. Sean Clifford learned things. The offense was pretty, pretty lousy last year. But there is that hope that because it's year two, from a trial and error standpoint that they figured out what didn't work. And again, I hate to beat a dead horse, but the dead horse is clearly the offensive line, but they figured out what didn't work ways to fix it. And look, I'd be remiss if I did not bring up Mitchell Tinsley. I think I made the bold prediction on our podcast last week that I would not be surprised if Mitchell Tinsley has a better year than Parker Washington. And I love Parker Washington. He's a great, a great prospect. He looks like he could be a, a really good number one guy. But Mitchell Tinsley caught 87 passes last year. And so the question is kind of, well, was it a fluke because West, Western Kentucky threw the ball every time? And blah, blah, blah. Well, they all raved about him. The maturity, the intelligence, the football IQ, the route running, um, understanding how, how to get himself open, all of these types of things. And so, again, Last year they had Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington. This year they have Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley. And again, if you could get the running game going, 
there obviously with Theo Johnson and Britton Strange as the tight ends, they there is there is reason for optimism that the offense could be markedly better. Right. So Corey, we've had enough optimism for the first half, uh, for the first third of this podcast. So when we come back, let's talk about some of the reasons why we shouldn't be optimistic on the We Are podcast and DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the second segment of the We Are Podcast, the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. For Corey and I, there's just too much positivity. Right? <laughs> so Jared, Jared can see me. He's I'm laughing because yeah. I told him I love the way you said that. There's just too much. We got to get some negative stuff here going on. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, we got to start some storylines here. So, Corey, you know, we talk about how optimistic we are about the offense and, and rightfully so. Right. But why? Why shouldn't we be optimistic in this offense? What has given us a reason to be optimistic when nothing that they did last year works? Well, again, it goes back to the offensive line, and James Franklin reiterated today what he said at uh, Big Ten Media Days, that he's not going to declare this is the year uh, he's going to let these guys go out and, uh, um, and try to show everybody. Mike Yersich did say that he, they, they do feel like the, uh, the offensive line and the running game is, is – has progressed pretty well so far. That is certainly good to hear. But look, it's it's you got to show me. It's put up or shut up. They they've got to be able to run block. This is a, this is an interesting thing. I'm going to write about this at some point. Um, and it's Kevon Lee. Now you, Jared, you picked Kevon Lee over Noah Kane last year as as the guy you thought was was the the better tailback. I remember picking Noah Kane, and we had a good discussion about that. You remember our discussion on that? Yes, I do, Corey. And so I like I like Kevon Lee. It's disappointing what happened with Noah Kane, but there's there's comments I keep getting when we write stories on the website that Kevon Lee is quote just another guy that he that he's just another guy. He's not super lightning fast. He can break away in the secondary or on the, on the second level. He calls himself a two-yard grinder kind of guy that when, when he gets hit, he tries to get that extra two yards, which is a good thing. But when we're talking about reasons for concern, Nick Singleton is a true freshman. Can he step right in and do what Saquon did? Yeah, doubt it. Maybe. You'd hope so. But, you know, how, how can the running game get better? 
Well, they, I still don't know that they're going to have that explosive guy. And if Kevon Lee is the guy, can he turn – look, he averaged 4.9 yards per carry last year. That's not bad behind a terrible offensive line. But but did, would you have thought that, Jerry? Would you have thought he was close to five yards per carry, remembering back on the season? No, no, definitely not. I mean, you have to look at those in isolation, right? Because yeah. for as bad as what we remember the offense to be, I would not have expected anything close to that. Maybe 2.3, maybe 3.3 at the most. But, but yeah, 4.9 is, is a wild statistic when you kind of look back and, and see there. And so, if again, these are the ifs, but – I am concerned the offensive line only has to get better, but the running backs have to have to be good and they do have depth there. And then you go to the defensive side of the ball. We can, we can switch over there. Those linebackers, you know, Manny, Manny Diaz is pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. He says, you know, the linebackers don't want to have to be the question mark of the team. I mean, we're talking Penn state here. This is linebacker you and outside of the offensive line, the biggest question mark on the team is the linebackers. That has just never been the case here. Yeah, absolutely, and you know there you really very rarely see a weak linebacker group at Penn State, and that's even during you know some of the dark days of the Paterno era where they just were not good football teams, um, and it's always a strong suit, and it's always going to be a strong suit because you know Penn State plays that that old school Big Ten style of football defensively. They play that smash mouth football, bend don't break, uh, and. You know, they need to get back to, to punching teams in the mouth and having that intimidation factor. Are those young linebackers capable of doing it? That I'm not sure of. But yeah. but Go the ahead. athleticism there and the talent seems to be there on paper. It's just putting it all together on the field, which is the hardest part. I think the future of the linebacker position is probably good, but for 2022, it, it is a giant question mark. Curtis Jacobs is a good player. Uh, we think he can be really, really good but before he's all done. Jonathan Sutherland is a nice, good, versatile player. He is not a standout linebacker like traditionally we would have seen at Penn State. And then they've got Tyler Elsden, Kobe King competing for that middle linebacker spot. And so what will that do? What will those guys' development do with regards to the style of defense and everything Manny Diaz wants to do? Uh, we've talked a lot about this, and I asked Manny about it at Media Day, Jared. Well, Penn State's always played this bend but don't break style. You know, can you if you're if you're ultra aggressive and you're giving up big plays, you know, can that can that work against a defense that has outstanding secondary guys and has always been very good uh, in the red zone when when the field gets shorter? And Manny Diaz, it was interesting the way he explained it. He and it was, it was very astute. He says, hey, you don't have to be aggressive in all facets of your defense. You can still be highly aggressive on the line and what's your, what, what you're doing with the linemen and or the linebackers and still play maybe somewhat conservative with your secondary guys and uh, or, or vice versa or what have you. You don't have to go all in, all 11 guys being full bore because, again, that is something that you, you can risk giving up the big plays. But that's what we're going to have to see that, that Penn State's defense is going to have to accomplish is we think the defensive line is going to be good. They're going to have to get after the quarterback. Manny talked about you get them in a third and long situation, and that is where the turnovers generally come from mm-hmm. when a quarterback has to make a mistake. Right, and I think that's a great way to look at it because you know when you look at the defense um, on the field, it's a series of layers, right? You've got the defensive line, you've got the linebackers, and then you've got the secondary. So you you can be aggressive depending on what you know what layer you're using. Whether you want to blitz a safety off the edge, 
whether you want to pinch or twist up the middle, um, or even if you want to fill some gaps with some backers. So I think, you know, I think that's a great way to look at it because what I need to see and what I want to see from James Franklin is letting Manny Diaz do Manny Diaz what he wants to do. Well, let him run his defense. And, you know, and I think that's the biggest thing. And I think you can say the same thing with your sitch. It's getting comfortable and, and understanding what they're going to call in certain situations, because I think that's one of the things we continuously talk about. And I, and I hear this everywhere I go out in public for 350 days a year, James Franklin is a great coach, but game day is where, it, where it matters. So, you know, when we talk about the game day aspect of it, let Manny Diaz call Manny Diaz's defense, let him do what he wants. If he wants to pinch, if he wants to, you know, brush off the edge or, or just whatever he wants to do, let him do that. Give him a reason, give James Franklin a reason not to trust him. You brought him here for a reason. He's got all this experience. You got to let him go. The same thing with your sitch. You know, year two in an offense is, is a lot better. Now there's stability, and it's something that they just haven't had at Penn State in quite some time on the offensive side of the football because everybody keeps getting promoted from Joe Moorhead to Ricky Ronnie. Well, Kirk Shiraka didn't get promoted, but now he's back at Minnesota. You know, now it's your sitch. So you have that consistency. Build on it. Grow on it. Take advantage of it. It is interesting. Um, I would be surprised. I would probably put it at 60-40 right now that Manny Diaz will not be at Penn State in six months, whatever that is, January. Um, When you listen to Manny Diaz talk, he sounds like a head coach. There are, you know, Jared, you're very familiar with Brent Pry. We got to know Brent very well. He sounded like a head coach, and he is now a head coach. Manny Diaz was the head coach at the U. I mean, we're talking Penn State football, one of the greatest brands in in this country. Well, the U is is certainly one of the greatest brands. And Manny Diaz was the head coach at Miami, had some success, but but ended up getting fired. He just just seems like a head coach. He talks like a head coach. He has the um, outward presence of a head coach. So now look, I thought when Mike Yersich came that he might only be at Penn State for a year or two. Certainly, their offense was terrible last year, and I think that really goes against Mike Yersich. As long as Penn State has a good defensive team this year, and, and I, I think they can, um, I'll tell you what, Manny is so impressive, and I just think that it, 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 people are going to want to make him a head coach again. I absolutely do not believe he'll be at Penn State for longer than two seasons, but, man, listening to him today and seeing the way he handles himself, carries himself, uh, that is a that is a college football head coach right there. Right, and, and listen, let's let's be perfectly honest with you. I don't think that he was given a fair shot at the U. Um, I think a lot of higher powers uh, didn't want him there, and they end up with Mario Cristobal, and, and it's been, Miami's loss has been State's game. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is just merely a stepping stone, but I think it's a great opportunity for Penn State to get back to that brand of football that they need to uh, defensively. I mean, ben, Brent Pry did a lot of great things uh, for James Franklin throughout their tenure together now it gives james franklin the opportunity to get away from that and he's got a great safety cushion with with manny diaz but it'll be interesting to see you know how what this defense looks like because it's not something that we've really seen since james franklin's been there yeah chop robinson i got a chance to talk with him we'll have a story on him here soon the transfer edge rusher um, you know, what he liked about Penn State. They get back a Adisa Isaac, who was injured last year. 
and, and you know, that, that defensive line has good depth. They should be good. The secondary with Joey Porter Jr., Jair Brown, Daquan Hardy is a nickelback. They're still looking for the other safety about who that's going to be. Um, but there are a lot of good players on that defense. Again, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm befuddled that we have to question the linebackers at linebacker U. But if James lets Manny Diaz be the coach of the defense, lets Mike Yurcich be the coach of the offense. And look, we need to see Mike Yurcich take a big step forward because quite frankly, he screwed a lot of things up last year, but he does have a track record. He has done it. It, it, It'll be interesting to see because I do think, again, as I mentioned earlier, this could be the last year we see James Franklin, Mike Yurcich and Manny Diaz together, you know, and then, you know, maybe Manny stays one more year, but this is where we get into the turnover with all these coaches. We're very familiar with it with Penn State in recent years. And, and look, Jared, it's not going to change. Right. If these guys do well, they're going to get they're going to get jobs and they're going to move on. Right, and rightfully so. I mean, you look at you know some of James Franklin's early staffs, like Sean Spence. Right, he went to the NFL. Now he's back into college ranks. I mean, that's a that's a step up, right? I mean, you look at a lot of those guys. I mean, Charles Huff went to Alabama, and now he's the head coach at Marshall. Brent Pry, Ricky Ronnie, they're both head coaches uh, at um, at Virginia Tech and Old Dominion, respectively. We never thought that Ricky Ronnie would leave, um, but you know he went out and and he did. And you know Old Dominion, I think, is a program that's going to be on the rise um, here within the next few years in their in their conference. And I think that's you know that's a tribute to him. And it, it, he's got a lot of good Penn State flavor down there uh, in Norfolk. But it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, who's the next one because you know everybody knew Joe Moorhead was gone. I mean, and he took that job at Oregon, and or um, or no, he was the offensive coordinator at Oregon. Where did he go before that? Oregon, Mississippi, Mississippi, Mi- sorry, Mississippi, Mississippi State. State. Yep, yep, Mississippi State. And you know, then he ends up as the OC at, at Oregon, and now he's uh, at Akron. So you know, it, it it's just one of those things where there's always going to be a coordinator car- carousel. Uh, it's just kind of riding it and, and getting on and getting off when you have to. And that's, that's nothing against James Franklin uh, because these guys, I think have war- like their, their performances have warranted the promotions, the, the, you know, the, the better jobs, so to speak, but you know, that's the nature of the game, right? And, you know, these players are able to go wherever the hell they want and the coaches are too, and they're going to go get their money and take their life and, you know, go get their livelihood and, and rightfully so. And I'll uh, throw in one more. I just wrote about this guy, Jay One Side, of the running backs coach. I think he could potentially be a head coach at some point down the road, a tremendous recruiter. But look, we never saw this before at Penn State. We've certainly seen it over the last handful of years. Guys do a good job. They're going to get offers. And then you, you do have to wonder what impact that has on Penn State when they leave. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean – you, we talk about James Franklin in the USC talks, right? And, you know, a lot of those guys, a lot of that recruiting class came out and said, we're committing to Penn State um, and not necessarily James Franklin. Now, that could be just, you know, a good PR stunt or, or good whatever. But it's, but these players, a lot of them elsewhere, especially, commit to the coach um, because they build that relationship. Coaching is all about relationships, both on the field and off the field. Because if you can have a great relationship with a player or an athlete, then that's going to bode well and they're going to do what you want them to do. And, and when you have that rapport with them, that's going to help you get through the adversity that you're going to face. Um, so, you know, you're out on the recruiting trail, you're, you're showing that you want these guys 
you know, and, and Jay one, I think is a great recruiter. He's one of the top notch recruiters in the entire country and, and deservedly. So, I mean, some of the guys that he's, you know, brought to Penn state have just been very, very good athletes, you know, highly ranked and whatever, but you know, you build that relationship, that rapport with these players and their parents and their families. Uh, and that's not just the parents. That's the aunts, the uncles, the cousins, the sisters, the brothers. So it's a family affair. And when you have that, you know, it makes it hard when it, when a coach goes and takes a better job somewhere and you see them take, take guys with them. And, you know, it, it's just part of the business, unfortunately. Yeah. And uh, speaking about relationships and human beings and everything, we'll, we'll end this segment coming up in the third segment. I, I do want to talk about these, these are people. I had some good discussions with folks at media day about the lighter stuff, you know, the, the, uh, the off the field, human interest kind of stuff. So I'd like to maybe spend a few minutes. We can get into that here in the third segment. Well, let's get to it. Corey, we'll take a quick break on the, we are podcast, DK Pittsburgh sports podcast network. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the We Are Podcast, the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Corey, we've talked about optimism. We've talked about narcissism. we talked about pessimism, about Penn State football, their offense, defense, special teams, whatever. But let's get into some of the nitty-gritty stuff that really makes the program and, and its players and coaches uh, and people involved special. You know, Jared, one of the great things about Media Day, it's an opportunity, really one of the few opportunities of the whole year, where we get to spend – a good amount of time with the players and talk to them about some different things, not just all football. We can ask them some personal questions and get to know a little bit about them as people. And I, I, I will personally admit I've been pretty critical of Sean Clifford during his career. We, that's our job. We have to analyze the football, but, but I have tremendous respect for Sean Clifford as a person, as a leader. I think he's extremely intelligent very bright young man. He's got a, a great future, I think, and no matter what it is that he does, off the football field probably. I don't think he's going to be an NFL quarterback. We got to talk with Sean about some personal things, and, you know, he, he made a comment, Jared, that he said, you know, we're not just football players. We're people too. And so I, I followed up on that. We had a nice little four or five-minute exchange about just what it's like to be a person, you know, how, you know, he, he Penn State fans will look at him as the quarterback of the Penn State football team. But he is also an entrepreneur. He runs the NIL a company, Limitless. Um, I joked with him, hey, what's your future? Are you going to be a Penn State's offensive coordinator someday? Or are you going to be a businessman someday? What, which way are you going to go with this? And so that's one of the cool things about Media Day. I got to ask Joey Porter about his dad and who his favorite Steelers player growing up was. And he says, you mean besides my dad, right? So that that's one of the cool things about this that, Maybe fans don't fully understand what we media. A lot of times we have so little time with these players. We can just basically only ask them hardcore football questions and, and that's, and then we move on. Media day is an opportunity to really kind of pick the brains of, of, of these kids and, and at least get to know them a little bit more as people. Right. And that's the thing, you know, we only get a handful of these players after every game, win, lose, draw, whatever. Um, so it's nice to get them to open up and to see that personality, right? Because a lot of these guys, you see them on, on film and you see them on TV and, 
you really just don't know them, right? Like, like Joey Porter Jr., if I'm not mistaken, I think he's going for special education um, as part of his major at, uh, at Penn State. And I think, you know, as a special education teacher myself, I, I think that's admirable. Jo- uh, Joey has a special needs sister, um, you know, and, and you just find those those good stories, right? The, those types of things um, out on days like today or days like media day, I should say. Um, but we, we so, we so often forget that these players are actually people too. And, you know, we've both been critical with Sean Clifford. Uh, I think it's a rite of passage right now. If you're on the Penn state beat to be critical with Sean Clifford and James Franklin, but we forget that these guys have families. We forget that these guys, you know, they have lives away from the stadium, away from the offices and, and James Franklin, you know, uh, for the, for all intents and purposes, the last few years, you know, he spent so much time away from his, his family and we don't ever think about that right in the grand scheme of things so like when james franklin botches maybe a fourth and five call or whatever um and i understand in the, in the moment that you're not thinking about the, the long-term effects of being away from your family or um or those things but you know that matters um you know being around your family every day is a wonderful thing but if you're not around them and you have to see them struggle and and you're you can't have that interaction with them you know, that's so tough to, to kind of digest on top of navigating everything else that a coach has to do. Because, again, we for, yeah, the coaches is a title, but they are humans first and, and fathers and, and sons and brothers and all of those things, too. And we, we so quickly forget that whenever Sean Clifford makes a bad play or a fumble or, or Kewan Lee doesn't get three yards and a first down or Joey Porter – Junior gets attacked on the far side of the field for a touchdown. And we never, we don't ever think of it, you know, from the human aspect of it. And that's one of the, you know, the, I don't want to say it's the the demise of, of athletics, but we think we put these guys on the pedestals because, you know, they're playing a kid's game for, for whatever, but at the end of the day, they go home and they're human. And even though they're, they're, they're doing superhuman type things on the field. I will fully admit that uh, that is my biggest, you know, one of my biggest weaknesses and flaws as a journalist that I am pretty hardcore. I'm a results person. I write about the wins, the losses, what happened. Um, You mentioned Franklin and his family, man, Jared, I've got nine year old twins. I I could not imagine what James Franklin had to go through in 2020 being away from his wife and daughters and then having to worry about his daughter who has the sickle cell with, with the whole COVID possibility uh, you have a family, Jared. I mean, we, we, we should, and I will, I will fully admit I, it is a flaw of mine. We should think more about um, the fact that these are people when, when, when my son is struggling in a baseball game, I, I'm thinking about how it's going to impact him, you know, as, as a person more so than, ah, oh, this is going to screw us over in this baseball game. But as a sports writer and as a, a hardcore sports fan, and we're talking to hardcore sports fans right now, Jared, at Penn State, and it's probably easier for the for fans to say, hey, I don't really care a whole lot about all this family stuff. I've got my time and money and, and passion invested. And it is, it is a, a hard balance, Um I wish I could strike the balance a little bit better. Right. And that's the thing, you know, every, every day, you know, you, you want to provide for your family and, and it, it's a tough thing, you know, and, and Penn state, since James Franklin has got there, the biggest thing, you know, you see 
recruiting days. You see signing days. You see his kids there. You see the whole staff's kids there. And it's just one of those situations where, you know, that had to have an effect not only on those kids uh, or not only on the coaches, but the kids too, because they are a family. Uh, and that's, you know, I, I'm not, I don't want to get, you know, super soft here, but you know, it, it, that matters. And those interactions with those, with, with Franklin's kids and the kids throughout the the coaching staff, you know, those are, those are guys that, that, you know, are just coming to Penn state. They don't get that opportunity to build those friendships, those relationships with the other coaches, kids, because they weren't allowed to. And well, that, you know what, you know what, Jared, let me take this back to the field then, because all of this is fascinating. When we talk about assistant coaches leaving, Brent Pry leaving, um, support staff leaving for other jobs, that's what—that's one of the things that can make it difficult on a James Franklin. You get to know these people. You get to know them and their families and, and their personalities, and then you're constantly having to replace people, coordinators, assistant coaches. It is a challenge. It's easy to say, hey, well, guy's going to go get another job, blah, 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 if he's earned it, but – it, it does create a ripple effect because not only just from a football team, but you do – James Franklin probably trusted Brent Pry more than anybody. Well, now he's got a new coordinator. Manny Diaz might be a good coordinator, but he's not Brent Pry in James Franklin's personal life anyway. And, I, you know, I do think that that part, that part does get significantly overlooked uh, in college sports because people say, oh, these coaches leave left and right. Well, uh, there can be a toll that it takes as well. Right. And, uh, you know, you have to have that trust factor in, in your coaches, right? As, as a head coach, you have to trust the coaches that you ha- have hired or you have under you. Corey, you coach. I've coached at, at numerous different levels. The people you surround yourself are who make you who you are. And, you know, when you don't have that trust in that coordinator, and I think under Chirac, I don't think James Franklin ever trusted him. I think Yersich, I right. think it's starting to grow. Um, but, you know, you bring in Manny Diaz, and that's a level of trust that I don't think he's – you know, it's been a while since it's been that maybe not necessarily that low because I think there is some established trust between the two of them, but it's not the level that it was with Brent Pry, and that all adds up. You know, and that's you know that's one of the things that you don't really think about, but it does all add up. And it's those little things that you know ultimately matter. You know, when it's a third and four, and this is what you need to do, or hey, you know, you want to bring the safety up on this play, or you want to go deep. It's just one of those situations. Yeah, sure. I mean. I know we're kind of getting off the field here uh, with a lot of this stuff, but I do think it's important because we can talk about the offensive line and we can talk about personnel and X's and O's and schemes. But again, it goes back to the fact that these are people playing these games uh, and, and in this program. And, you know, again, we, we, we can always probably put a big asterisk on 2020 because of COVID and everything James Franklin went through with his family. Nobody's putting an asterisk on 2021. It was just a disastrous finish. And, and to kind of get back to, you know, the non-softy football fan listeners out there, they're like, Geiger, Prugar, you guys are a bunch of softies. They was last year we, we got to fix this i don't care about him as people because you know that's true a lot of sports fans don't give a crap about this stuff we're talking about no and i think that's the thing that's the beauty of sports <laughs> right because you know between the lines we only see them as players we only see them as coaches we only see them as what we see them on tv or on the practice field but they are so totally different outside of those gates outside of those lines and i think that's what makes sports so special because you have hundreds of people you know, fighting for one thing, but at the end of the day, they go their separate ways and their, their lifestyles are different. Their, their routines are different. It's, you know, and I think 
Uh, one of the th- one of the cool images I took last year was Taylor Stubblefield playing with his son after after a game, and those are the moments that you see and you're like, okay, well this is a this is still only a game, right? There is an aspect we're gonna we're we're going to critique Sean Clifford, we're going to critique James Franklin and his decisions until we're purple in the face, um, and I hope that that's not the case. But you know, in years past, until we're pretty much black and blue all over, we've talked about coaching decisions, but there's just so much more that we don't see behind the scenes that adds up to what we see on the field every Saturday afternoon or Saturday night. Hey, these Penn State folks think they're going to win the national championship, Jared. That's the number one takeaway from media day. No, I'm just kidding there. Again, I'll go back to what we started at the beginning. There's a lot of optimism. Should there be as much optimism after going seven and six? Well, you wouldn't necessarily think so, but Hey, all things considered, if, the giant elephant in the room, if they can get the offensive line figured out, maybe, just maybe. They, they've got the talent in a lot of other positions, um, and, and may, maybe they get this figured out and they, try, they, they mess around and win 10 games this year. Well, and that's the thing. You know, they got to figure that out. But I think, Corey, what we figured out is that life exists off the football field um, today. You know, whether we're optimistic, pessimistic, narcissistic, no matter what happens, there's still life out off of the football field. And I think if you go in knowing that, then, hey, guess what? You can enjoy sports a lot more knowing that, hey, this isn't the end of the world. Every Saturday, these people, um, everybody wants to, to experience Penn State football. Everybody wants to experience college football, and it's a great thing. Um, but it, it's, a, it's an escape for, for many, many people. And I think that's what makes sports so great. You know, that's the two hours or – you know, if you're a minor league baseball fan now, an hour and 45 minutes watching a nine, nine inning game uh, or, or two hours that you escape from everyday life. And I think when you have that kind of viewpoint, you realize that, yeah, what you say about Sean Clifford in the grand scheme of things, it, it doesn't mean anything uh, because Sean Clifford's still a human being. And yeah, is he probably going to read the comments? Absolutely. How could you not? Um, but at the same time, he is a human that matters. And humans are going to make mistakes. Nobody is perfect, uh, unfortunately. And that's kind of why we have to live the way that we live, right? Everybody makes mistakes. And, and you have to learn just, from them and grow from them. Just to let everybody know, the plug here, we'll have a lot of these sports in the coming days and weeks. Clifford, Chop Robinson, Joey Porter, uh, Mitchell Tinsley, Christian Veyu. Oh, by the way, I forgot this. It is Jared, it is not Christian Veyu, okay? That, that is not how he pronounces his name. This blows my mind because this is what happens. It's Veyure because he's French-Canadian. And so we had him say his name twice, and it's – because we just thought it was Veyure. Well, no, it's it's Veyure, kind of like the thing. Well, (laughs) uh, a a commenter said he's skeptical of that because with Mario Lemieux, Lemieux, it wasn't Lemieux. So anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out. It kind of go, it goes hand in hand with what we we're talking about, about having fun with these guys off the field. We've been saying the dadgum quarterback's name wrong. So, well, it shows what we know, Corey. So before we mess anything else up with names, what have you, let's say goodbye for this one for Corey Geiger. This has been Jared Pruger on the, we are podcast, the Hey Pittsburgh sports podcast network. We'll catch you all again next week.